Hi, I'm Marianne, um, a marijuana addict, and I have 18 months today off marijuana and um, all non-prescription mind and mood-altering substances. Um, my last alcoholic drink was four and a half years and one week ago. Um, I had that detail uh, because my parents loved to drink, and um, they drank every day until dementia led them both to forget. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty nervous right now. Um, so I'm going to sort of remember and tell myself um, that my best is good enough and my worst is okay too. Um, I've had some, I've done some lead shares before and some I've thought have been really wonderful and other ones I've, I've cried afterwards. So <laughs> I don't know where this one is going to fall. Um, you know, I got asked to, when I got asked to speak today, I was instantly anxious about it. And, uh, you know, I wanted to say no. However, um, I take notes during my meetings, not, not as much as I used to, but at the beginning, um, I used to note every single meeting I went to. And on my day one of sobriety from marijuana, which is June 10th, 2021, um, my second meeting of the day uh, was a world phone group noon meeting. And I have notes about, you know, how to get into the queue and how to hear the participants. And so that was really, um, you know, I just remember being on that phone call. And um, someone from my state reached out that on the phone that day that was in that meeting. And um I'm still in touch with her today. She doesn't live that far from me. And I've met her in person um, at a picnic. So, you know, um, I owe a lot to these phone meetings. I, I, I've been really connected through Zoom, um, but I have been on a few of the phone meetings. I'm just not real familiar with them. So um, that's adding to my anxiety. But, you know, I thought I took that as a message from my higher power that my answer had to be yes. <clears throat> you know, 18 months, I get asked to share. I've been here, I was here on my day one. And so um, uh, that's why I said yes. And on that day one, I'll let you know that I went to two more meetings that day and I miraculously made it through that day. Um, I'll start with some of my background. Um, from as early as I can remember, um, alcohol was prevalent in all my in all my affairs. Um, my very most beloved uncle um, owned a bar, and he and and my aunt, who I just loved so dearly, um, worked there on on summer days when I got to go up there and visit them. Um, I'd go up there for a week or two. Um, my parents would have holiday parties, um, mainly St. Patrick's Day, um, but um, they would have holiday parties and, and other parties. And me and my next-door neighbors <clears throat> would be, play behind um, this the bar, the bar that we had. And it was very 1970s. Um, we had a reg, 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 red shag carpet. Uh, wood bar, and I just thought it was the most wonderful thing to be behind that bar. And all the day, all the people around us would be getting drunk. Um, my brothers, who are uh, seven, eight, and ten years older than me, were all doing drugs. 
and really looked the part of the 1970s hippies. I thought they and their friends were the absolute best thing, and I wanted to be just like them. Um, my one, one brother would get stoned in the room right next to where our TV was, and that door didn't close correctly. And I remember um, one time our, our basset hound, our, my, my sweet little Ginny, um, pushed open the door, and the smoke just billowed out. Uh, to where I was sitting with my mom and dad. And, you know, all of my brother's friends and their girlfriends would come over to our house. And I suppose it's because my mom would welcome them all. And clearly there were no repercussions relating to their drug use. Um, so, it, you know, it was, it, my parents were known, my mother especially was, was really loved by everybody that met her. Um, so, I think before I was using, I would I would rummage around my brother's room and I would find pot and paraphernalia and signs that he was smoking in his room. I remember one time I, I found his pipe and ashes on his windowsill and I just thought that was the most exciting thing. Um, and when I think about it now, I, I realized that I was really already hooked on it and I hadn't even used it. Um, and um, I first smoked pot uh, with my best friend, she stole some pot from her brother's door, and we went out to uh, some woods behind my house, and um, I can still remember that day, um, looking up at the clouds and um, wanting to be high. I did, didn't feel anything that day, but I wanted it. I wanted those clouds, you know, to start showing me something, you know, because I, I wanted to be stoned, um, and we were 13. We were 13. Um, soon after that, I was smoking again in a different woods and that was the day that I did feel something. Um, and this all took place. I was in eighth grade and I had already had my first beer by then, uh, a tall, one of those, I don't know if there's old, older people in this room, but a tall Colt 45, I don't know if they still make them, but that's what I drank. Um, so by ninth grade, I was smoking before and after school, um, I had my first bong hit in, in ninth grade, and I remember it to a T, where I was sitting, how it felt, and um, that was became my paraphernalia of choice for many, many decades until I quit. Um, by 10th grade, 10th grade, I was using before, during, and after school, and after dinner. I was smoking in alone in my room. I kept a bong in my closet. And, you know, as a mother now, I know that my mom knew all this, um, and I was drinking as well. Um, during high school, I used different drugs along with pot and alcohol. I had a slightly older boyfriend, and I had stopped hanging around with all my girlfriends who weren't smoking like me. Even though they were the ones that got high with me at the beginning, I was the one that became, you know, the major smoker. And it was very obvious. I went off with these guys, and that was the end of that. Um, I continued um, heavy usage all during college, along with a lot of drinking um, and, and the other drugs that were flooding around back in the 70s. Um, but I, none of them, I didn't latch on any of them. I, I didn't latch on to any of them like pot and um, alcohol, but it was mainly just pot. Um, during my last year of college, um, I, um, I was... Um, 
I met an older man at the beach. Um, he was a cocaine dealer and, of course, had a steady supply of pot, and he drank. Uh, and he was a carny, a carnival guy. Not circus, carnival. So I have to make that distinction. <laughs> it's the carnival, not, not the circus. So um, I got involved with him. Um, I never knew how old he was. Um, that last semester of college was my worst one in terms of grades and commitment because I was running around with him. And, um, but I do want to make the note that even though I was a heavy user, I was a very high achiever at school, very high achiever. Um, I was always an excellent student. Um, and I graduated, you know, with Phi Beta, Phi Beta Kappa from, from college. So, you know, the pot didn't, you know, I was one of those high achieving um, pot users. Um, you know, there, I did delve a little bit deeper with Coke when I was with that carnival guy. Um, but thankfully, um, my body, my nose didn't agree with it. I had always had a problem with sleep. I couldn't sleep. And so thankfully, um, cocaine didn't grab me like it did so many others. Um because it did grab a lot of people back then. Um, so I, I came home from carnival life. Um, <clears throat> I got a job at, at a seafood restaurant, and I was um, drinking a lot and smoking a lot. I, knew, I was smoking every day all these years. I smoked every single solitary day. I eventually, um, that only went on for a little while. I was only home a short time from being with the carnival and lo and behold, I got busted. You know, you think I would have gotten busted when I was out on the road, but no, I get busted um, right here in town. Um, I was smoking in a car after being in a bar. I was with two guys I work with and um, the cop says to me, you're not, you're not going to smoke pot in my town. And uh, I can't, can't tell you how much resentment I had about that comment. Because you know why? I was born in the damn town, and I could smoke wherever I wanted. Was he born in the, in the town? I don't think he was born in the town. Not many of us are staying around here, so I can't. I didn't. Only since I've become sober have I gotten over that comment. That's how many times I've talked about that comment. So um, I was court ordered urine test, and um, I would drink a bunch of water to dilute them. And uh, there was only one guy in the lab, and he would comment about it, um, but I kept doing it. I kept, I kept taking – I don't know if I had to go once a month, but I got through several of them that way. And I realized that it wasn't going to work for my last test. So I had to force myself to quit, and I quit then. And um, I remember that I noticed – a positive change happened in my life. And I feel like when I think back, because remember, it's hard to remember because I'm, I'm still drinking a lot at this point. It's hard to remember, but I remember it had something to do with getting things done. Um, so I passed that last drug test and I decided not to use. Now, I don't really remember me coming to that conclusion, but I didn't start again. Um, and that is now we're in 1988. Uh, my boyfriend then, now husband, quit right after me. So we got engaged. We got married. 
and had two sons in 92 and 94. Um, I was still drinking. I didn't drink during my pregnancies or when I nursed them, but I was drinking. Um, they became school aides. I started to drink more regularly. And, um, you know, um, you know, I started having issues with drinking, different things with my stomach. But um, that whole time period that I, when I was just drinking, I was, both of us were pining for the pot. Um, I was a pothead all during that time period that I had quit. So I quit then. It was 1988. Um, late 2000, I went to a late year party at my pot smoking friend's house. Uh, my sons were six and eight. Um, we seeked out the room where the pot was being smoked. We mutually agreed that we were going to do it. And after 12 years of no pot, I took so many hits that night that I lost count. I could not get enough. The thing was going around and around and around. I could not get enough. Uh, my husband could, had started to have an anxiety attack. We had to go outside. I actually laughed and laughed and laughed. I was just back in my element. It ended up in 12 years. And what did I do? I drove us home that night, you know. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm stoned. I can drive back. Um, and I instantly, instantly got back into it. Um, I was never one to say things like, oh, I'll do it on the weekends. Oh, I'll do it on the holidays. No, I didn't, wouldn't even, I, I would not even say those things. I right back at it. My brother had started back up. He became my source. And um, what happened then is interesting because just a few months after that, my mother fell coming out of a restaurant after she had been drinking. And I had to go into a caretaking role that I would hold for 15 years. Um, she died like a year and a half after that. And then I had to take over from my father until, and hit with his dementia and he died in 2016. So it was 15 years of caretaking. Um, I tell, I, I've told people, I've told my therapist, I've told my sponsor, you know, that, and I told myself that I thought pot, pot was sent back to me by, you know, uh, I'll call my higher power, that pot came into my life because I needed it to help me get through. And um, to get through what I went through with my parents and especially my mother. And um, my sponsor says that could be true. You know, it can work until it doesn't. Um, but, you know, I don't know if I agree with that, and I really haven't come around yet to accepting that. Ideally, I wouldn't have been stoned and getting high when I was running around helping her. Um, when I hear now that people are sober for for when people in their lives die, I, I, um, I'm so thankful that they have that time. So um, I no longer say that the pot came into my life for a reason. Um, so anyway, um, I hid my use from my sons. They actually didn't even know about it until like somewhere in the 20 teens, you know, when one of their girlfriends, who's now my daughter-in-law, smelled the medical grade cannabis that I was carrying around. But what I had done is 
even though I didn't tell them I was getting high, I was definitely pro marijuana in my in my speech and in my actions as a mother. And I alluded to cannabis culture in positive terms. In terms, um, the opioid drug abuse had just be had just begun to come into the high school scene in our suburbs, and. Uh, um, Unfortunately, one of the kids on um, my son's football team actually OD'd on it and um, on an opioid. And um, I just knew that I did not want them to get involved in those drugs. I also, frankly, didn't want them to be drinkers. And so in my mind, you know, I was okay with them being pot smokers. And, of course, they eventually both became pot smokers. Um, we discovered that one of our sons was uh, getting it for others and bringing it across state lines, and uh, we found this out, and we would live it. Um, what did I end up doing? Well, I took I took his scale, and I used it for years after that to weigh out the pot that I got for him and others after I got my mar- marijuana card. So, like I said, it was 2000 when I started back up. Um, at first I did try to say, oh, I won't do it. Um, I won't do it when they're in school. I'll do it at night. And, um, that didn't work. Um, I had just started doing it during the day, um, when they were in school and I had just done a hit and lo and behold, I get a call. My son had had an emergency at school. So I had to walk into the high school after I had just done a hit. Um, and I would call that one of my low points. It was nowhere near when I quit, but that was one of my low points. Um, and it tarnishes that memory. He ended up being best friends with that girl that, that he ran into. And every time that memory comes up, it, my, my memory is tarnished. But um, so I, um, I, uh, I quit drinking, what year was it? Well, I quit drinking in 20, what, well, four and a half years ago. I don't know when that is. Because um, for all kinds of health things, you know, my stomach, I had, I couldn't do this. I couldn't mix this with this. I would get sick. I couldn't sleep. And I had pot. So I was fine. And I quit drinking. And I was very indignant about my marijuana. How dare anyone ever intimate that I was going to quit? My husband um, didn't smoke as much as me. And if he would even bring it up about cutting back or taking trips, I would cry. Um, so I was either angry or I would cry about it. Um, I'm 60 years old now, and I've never had a passport. I uh, developed a huge anxiety around flying. Um, I didn't take trips. Um, and like I said, I never, ever planned on quitting. I was planning on smoking until the day I died. So somewhere since I moved here to this town, I started with a new therapist. I had been in different therapists, you know, over the years. 
And she asked me um, how I envisioned myself as an old woman. And I closed my eyes and I thought about it. And um, I, I couldn't imagine it at all. I, I, I could not imagine myself as an old woman. And I, I, and I, I still don't know what was going on then. But um, so what was going on at the time to just say how I got to the room is I was I had my medical card. I was completely into all the terpenes, very organized, always had it, knew which terpenes I liked. I was getting my son his pot. I was getting his father-in-law his pot. I would go to the dispensary like every couple of weeks. I would come up with, you know, this strain and that strain. I mean, I was in seventh heaven. I had been waiting for the 70s to be able to do this. Um, and I was getting more and more upset about the fact that I was my son's dealer. But I didn't want him. He could go and get it um, uh, at a quasi in, in D- Washington, D.C. He could go and get it like. You can buy a T-shirt, and then they give you uh, uh, a pot pot gift. And I didn't want him doing that, so you know I became his dealer, and um, that was becoming I was becoming more and more upset about that. So um, I was trying to get him to get his own card. He wasn't getting his own card, um, and what happened? So then COVID hit. Um, both of them got married. Um, I was completely stoned at my son's wedding, getting high at the, at the wedding. Um, of course I, thankfully I wasn't drinking. Um, and then, um, um, my one son, they got, they were pregnant. They got, they, my daughter-in-law got pregnant and, um, I became a granddaughter, um, my grandmother on New Year's Eve of um, 2020. So we're in the middle of COVID. I became a grandmother. Um, and um, I fell in love with my granddaughter. Um, I was, I, you know, I, I did really good. I was a really good parent. Um, and here it was, I had a little girl. I had never had a little girl. I had never had sisters. Um, and um, of course, I started with, I'm going to start having boundaries. I'm not going to do it before I drive down there. I'm not going to do it when they're here or when she's here. And as I didn't do, you know, I didn't follow my boundaries. And um, so one day she was over here and she was sleeping in her little pack and play. And um, I hadn't gotten stoned while she was with me yet. And, you know, she's sleeping. And what do I do? I go upstairs and I do a bong hit. And, of course, at this point, you know, after you've been doing it for 32 years, for me, I wasn't getting stoned anymore. I wasn't getting stoned. I was just going through the process. I loved the pageantry of it all. I did one hit. And I walked out, I'm, I'm in the room right now where I used to do it. I walk out of the room. I get to the top of the steps and I start walking down the steps and I see her laying there in the crib 
in the pack and play. And I'm like, what the, what the blank have I done? This is a bunch of crap. I feel no different. And now I have this crap all over my fingers. I have resin. You know, you, I have resin spots on my fingers. And I have the smell on my lip. And there's this beautiful, beautiful, almost six-month-old baby here with me. And that's the moment that I defined as my bottom. And I think I thank my higher power that I was able to define that as my bottom. Um, I so I what I what I, I I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Just a little bit before that happened, I had come into the rooms. Maybe they were pregnant at that point. Maybe maybe it was when she had already been born. I don't remember. I came into the rooms when I was still using. And I went to a few meetings and um, in fellowship one day, an old timer said to me, you just got to quit. You got to stop using. Well, you're not going to tell me to stop using. So I created, I got a huge resentment and never came, I did not, and left the meeting and then proceeded to get stoned all during that um you know, the next six, seven months. So I know now that I never tell anybody what to do. You know, I'm sure some of you have heard, you know, there's no shooting. Don't should me. I don't, I don't should other people and nobody should should me. And that's what that person had done. So, um, like I said, um, I had that bottom and I had been going to another fellowship, uh, ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. And I want to read to you what I wrote in my notebook um, the day before my day one. No, actually, it's not the day before, but it's the last thing I wrote in my notebook. Which, and it's three days before my, before my uh, day one. I wrote, These are the souls we are leaving in God's hands. We are no longer responsible for them. We are powerless over them and their choices. And that was me coming to grips with my parents and their alcoholism. I wrote, Dear loving parent, I recognize you and I am depending on you to help me be gentler with myself and more accepting of myself. Please challenge me to try if I am apathetic, but also help give myself a break if I judge myself too harshly. Help me focus on progress rather than perfection. And then I wrote these affirmations. I love my inner child unconditionally. I will protect my inner child to the best of my ability. I will take time to listen to my inner child and to follow through on promises. I will integrate my inner child into my life through play, creativity, and spirituality. And this is the big one. I will take time to become my own loving parent. And three days later, I woke up and I didn't get high. And it's in my notebook here. Day one, MA, 61021. Wake up and smell the coffee, 90 and 90. 10.30 to 11.45 Thursday. First thing I wrote is, ask my... HP for help today. It becomes worth the struggle. 
Who wishes to be in complete defeat? No one. Be honest with myself. Slave to marijuana. And then here I am at the phone group. You can't solve a problem you're not willing to have. And then, like I said, I went to two more meetings. But I will tell you that when I woke up that day one, I didn't know it was going to be my day one. I hadn't planned it. I didn't care up for it. I had pot and all my paraphernalia in the house. Uh, my husband came home from work. And I'm, st- I'm shaking just thinking about it. I was sitting on the couch in our sunroom downstairs. And I said to him, do not speak to me. Don't say one word to me. I haven't gotten high. I don't want to talk about it. Don't, don't say anything to me. Because I had been got, I had been getting high before every single solitary thing I had ever done. Doing the dishes, going to the store, taking a shower, watching TV, eating breakfast. I thought I had to get high to eat. Going to sleep. And so him even talking to me was going to be a trigger. I'm like, just don't talk to me. And I got through that first day. Um, I would continued with all those meetings. I've been going to meetings ever since that day. If I, now that I'm a grandmother, I have to miss a few days here and there. <clears throat> but I still have have days where I go to three or four meetings a day. That's just me. Um, so I told you how it was before I went on. So I want to tell you now what it's like that I've quit. Um, I've met people in these rooms, in the Zoom rooms, that are my friends. I I love them dearly. Um, I went to the New York City uh, virtual convention when in October, so that was October after my um, sobriety day. And um, I cried at the end of it because I, I could not believe how a bunch of potheads could get together and run that convention. And some of the people that I knew from the rooms were there. And um, I remember one of them played her guitar and she was like, I feel like she was a rock star. And they were my friends already. And I didn't want to leave. I did not want to leave. I stayed, the convention ended. I stayed on the phone. I stayed online. And I instantly got onto the committee to to plan the San Diego convention. And I stayed on that committee all the whole year. I was the newcomer on the committee. Um, I went to that convention. And it was the in-person convention. We just had it in October. Um, I flew. My husband came with me. It was the first time I didn't take any anxiety medicine. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Where's my anxiety? I wonder if it's because I'm not carrying, trying to carry the pot in the suitcase. I wonder if it's because I didn't get high this morning. I'm wondering if it's because I don't have to worry about getting stoned when I get there. So 
I went to the San Diego convention and here comes my people that I know from the Zoom room. And again, they're my friends. And, I, and the people that I worked with service during the, the convention, they were, they, it, it, it's just a wonder, wonder, wonderful thing to know that there's other people out there like me, that I'm not unique. I'm not unique. That the substance is addictive. It is addictive. And um, I have two granddaughters now from the same family, and I adore them. They moved closer to be with me. I'm their primary caretaker. I don't have to get high when I get up in the morning. I can walk out the door. The first few times I would walk out the door and knock out, I'd say, wow, I feel so much lighter. Wow. It's just like a lightness to not have to worry about doing it. Um, I was able to be on call when she went into labor. The second one, there was an emergency. I was able to go over there. My sons know they can call me. I was over there last night till uh, 12.30 at night because I babysat for them. I wouldn't have been able to do any of this. I flew, like I said, I flew to San Diego. I went to Disneyland and had an absolute blast. I went skiing. Skiing is my most favorite thing in the world to do. And I was really anxious the first time I went skiing without pot because I used to always get a high on the, on the lift. I can't tell you how irritated I would get. You know, back before they had the, the vape things, you know, you had to use a lighter. And, I, I mean, I would get raging mad because I couldn't get the damn thing lit, you know. Um, I love skiing. I'm trying to get my passport. I want to go and see a recovery fellow who lives in uh, British Columbia, and we're going to try to do it in 2024. Um, I use the sobriety requirements for the Zoom meetings to get to stay sober somebody wanted to um, lower the 90-day requirement for me to do some service in a meeting i said no no don't lower that requirement for me don't lower it i need that requirement to keep me sober so i you know i got to 90 days and i started to do service and i've never stopped doing service um me doing service has allowed me to meet these people you stay after, you talk in fellowship. You learn more, but I learn more about people by doing service with them. Um, so service has been a big, big thing for me. Um, I share at probably 95% of the meetings I go to. I had very low self-esteem. I still have low self-esteem. But every time I speak, it makes me stronger. And all of our words, all of our words matter. All of our words. And a person that has one hour of sobriety has more experience than a person who's still using. And so every minute that I accumulate, I have knowledge to hand down to people. Um, so I do, ha I found a sponsor at six months and she has 33 years of uh, sobriety. Uh, we work through the AA book a lot 
And even though I've been with her for a year, I am only now towards the end of my step four. She warned me at the beginning um, that she works the step slowly. Um, but you know what? And I say this all the time in my meetings. I have the gift of desperation. I haven't shared yet, but my sobriety date is the day before my 59th birthday. And other than using that vision of my bottom with my grandchild being in um, the crib, I use another vision of my mother. Um, she was dying. It was actually right around this time period. Uh, it's exactly 20 years ago. It was Christmas time, 2020, uh, 20, uh, 2002. And my family saw her alive. And we gathered for Christmas. It was a few weeks before. I she's, She had dementia. Not full dementia, but she had dementia. She had um, a huge colon tumor because she had never gone to the doctor during my entire life. So she was ill. She was dying. She was going to die soon. And we gathered around her bed. She really wasn't talking at the time. And um, I stopped at the liquor store. And I got her beer, um, put a little straw in that beer. Of course, she hadn't had any alcohol, but we, this was a celebration, right? So I brought her this beer. She put the little, put the little straw in the beer. Um, there was, we had some music, and um, one of my brothers pointed out. He taps me on the shoulder, and he points over at her, and one of her toes was tapping to the music because she was happy and she had her little beer there. It was a celebration. So since I've quit, I think about that image and I tell myself that is what I do not want. Before I stopped drinking, I was mimicking my life over I wanted to be like them, you know, my parents. I wanted to have that cocktail hour. And it's come all the way around to that is not what I want. I do not want my sons bringing me marijuana to my nursing home at the end of my life. I have been a pothead up until I was 58 years and 364 days old. I want to live my life differently. I don't want, I, you know, I've been a pothead my whole life. I want to be a sober person. I want to stop the cycle of addiction that's come down through the generations and generations from both sides of my family. And I want, I'm showing my sons and I'm showing my granddaughters that I am a sober person. My husband is also sober. He didn't add. He also quit smoking pot. He's he's not an addict like mine. He does he doesn't answer yes to all the questions like I do. So we have stopped the cycle of addiction in our in our home, and it's already had repercussions. I don't need to go into those, but I'm an example now for my family. And um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. Um, I 
I just want to say how grateful I am. Um, my sponsor is one of the people that started this program that helped work on the original documents. And I'm so grateful to those people. I met some of those people at the convention. I sat next to them at the convention. And there's some good people. They are some wonderful people that have been sober for some of them. One of them, I heard, was 40 years sobriety. But I'll end it with, I um, I just want to say one more thing before I end it, is that my sponsor, only in case there's newcomers here, my sponsor, before I started step one, had me do a three-by-five card. And on my three-by-five card, if you turn it vertically, I have a column that says gratitude, and I wrote down five things that make give me physical joy if I see them. Then the second third is if I use how I will feel, and I wrote three things, and then instead I can. So it's gratitude, if I use, and instead I can. And on the back page, I have five people I can call if my sponsor can't pick up the phone. And I wrote my own uh, higher, my own uh, prayer to my higher power, and I wrote higher power. Now I ask you to grant me the courage, faith, and humility to turn over my will and my life to you, to trust you and let go and let you care for me. Help me find faith and serenity in knowing you are always with me. And um, what I want to say is I was going to my therapist after I quit, and I was talking to her, and I started to talk about being old with gray hair. And I'd be doing this and, you know, know, when I'm old and this, and I stopped myself and I said, what the hell, what, what, what just happened? I said, why, what's going on? I, I'm imagining myself as an old woman. And how did that happen? And I realized that I had a life with hope. And I didn't even know what happened. But that's what happened. And I didn't know it had happened until I actually was thinking of myself as an old woman. So I'm here to say that this program works. And we are all worth it. And all of our words matter. We matter. All of us matter. All of us matter. And please, 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 please keep coming back because I love you all. And um, I hope to meet you someday. And I am with you in spirit. So thanks for letting me share.